0: Need some motivation on your Chinese business endeavour? Maybe curious about what the Chinese business environment is all about? Or want to laugh out loud listening to war stories on the ground in China? Then this is your show, China Business Cast. Welcome to a new episode on the China Business Cast. Eight years ago, or over eight years ago, this podcast started and was created to help people to buy and source from China. We thought it would be fun to share a little bit more about what changes happened in the past eight years. How to deal with factories now. Any changes on the supply chain? We had an opportunity, and with me, I mean Lina and myself, had an opportunity to discuss this topic with sourcing from China with the Lithuanian companies and entrepreneurs. Over 60 of them showed up, and we had the chance to also share this exclusive interview that Lina did with me with you all of you I think it will be fun we will go through tons of topics but I think the main takeaway would be on how the supply chain has changed to a demand chain more about this in this episode hope you enjoy and let me know if you have any comments please do follow or like this episode leave a comment and a reply share it if you think it's valuable with your friends and family hope we can continue to contribute more content to all of you and please do reach out
1: So Simon has been in China for over 10 years and has been responsible to manage close to 40 million euros of procurement orders throughout his career. Is that right?
0: Yeah, roughly. Yeah.
1: Roughly. And I think you have always been my inspiration because I have always turned to you for transparent, honest and uh, systemic advice of how to think about a certain situation. And I would like to also mention that recently me and Simon have started to partner up uh, on a new project completely. We have become hosts of China's oldest business podcast. It's called China Business Cast. And I would really encourage everyone to follow China Business Cast on your favorite platform. Could be Spotify, could be iTunes, could be anything else. And uh, you will find that uh, we have plenty of episodes about supply chain, because that was the primary questions people had eight years ago. So since we have about only 20 minutes with Simon, you can list all the questions in the chat, and you can totally talk to Simon later on LinkedIn. And I think uh, if Simon agrees, we can even make a little feed on LinkedIn and answer all your questions that we couldn't answer during this conversation.
0: Sure, I'm open to that. Let's get started.
1: Yeah, so we can see that it's about 60 people joining us today and all of them, I'm told, are very experienced uh, procurement managers. Good. So why were you important even before the pandemic to work with? For the Dutch companies? Why wouldn't they go directly to the suppliers and stores themselves? What is your function? What is your role? And why was it useful for the companies to to pay you for for help?
0: Good question. You're trying to take away the secret of our company. <laughs> no, we, we're trying I mean, to... I'm a
1: business person. You know?
0: <laughs> we're trying to become an extension of the customers that we're serving. Most of the customers are based in Europe. And there are small, medium sized entities that don't have their own presence in China for them to be able to really have control of what they're buying and what they want to sh- ship. They want someone here who can be their ears and eyes. Cause the moment that you come for a visit, the moment you get onto the plane, everything is already out of touch. And in China, it's much better and much promising if you have someone here. So for us, we're like the ears and eyes for. The companies we source for and we ship for just to be able to get control on the supply chain to increase the communication, have someone who can speak the local language, can go to the factory if there's any issue or need for that. It it just feels much more trust. There's just much more trust because there's always a barrier if you do cross-border trade, as you also will know.
1: Well, I think for me, what is very interesting, what we discussed earlier, is sometimes your reputation in the market, because you have been here for 10 years, is helping you get better prices from the suppliers. So let's say my previous clients in Lithuania are some of the biggest companies, and they would come to me and they would expect uh, to be able to access the same level suppliers that are the biggest in China, but they don't sometimes understand the the complexity that it's really Mm. less about the size and more about the people so maybe you can tell us a little bit of how you would choose a supplier and uh, what would be the process if somebody is about to work with you
0: yeah if you're already new to if you're new to buying itself then it's definitely helpful to have someone here that has an experience because that's in the end what suppliers look like. What is your track record? Not just as a one that's going to buy, but also the person or the company they're going to be communicating with. In the end, Chinese tend to still try to cut corners. So that's what you have to be very careful and cautious about. So having someone that has done it before or has, has knows where, where to look out for is, is very important. For us, we kind of have like a whole a process. Normally, there's an inquiry for products. We do mostly consumer products not industrial but mostly consumer products and for that it's always we get an inquiry we get the requirements doing the requirements already takes some time just to be able to specify what it is someone exactly wants because by now we know that almost everything is available in china but you have to ask the right questions to be able to get what you are looking for so that's a very important part for us to to help with the the requirements then we will look for suppliers so normally around 10. And from this 10, we make a short list from three to five that we like. Then we will be, in most cases, we're quite transparent on what supplier we have or information we have so that the choice can be made together. In the end, for us, we are more facilitator. When we expect that the company we work with in Europe, they are the expert of the product. They know what they want. They've been doing that before. They have a passion for it. They have certain knowledge that we have still have to build up. We don't have knowledge about everything that exists. I mean, that's impossible. We just have knowledge of how to systemize it, how to control it, and how to make a process out of it and be your spokesman here. After we have this short list, then for us, we check, of course, on pricing, but probably most importantly, the communication. How well are they replying to our questions? How fast are they replying? Do we feel like there's honesty? Once we have that short list narrowed down, it's very important for us to show our face. Mm. We have to be going to the factory and see what's going on. Because if you go to a a Canton Fair, and I think now this year Canton Fair is only online, Mm. a lot of these booths are trading companies. To be able to identify, am I dealing with a trading company or with a factory? And sometimes the trading company will take you to a factory to make it look like it's theirs. And then you see on the outside of the company, on the factory, you see a different company name. So that's already like a red flag. I'm not dealing with the with so directly.
1: What is the danger of not dealing directly? In my experience, one time I came to a factory in a similar situation like yours. Yeah. And I asked the person who introduced himself as the manager. I said, I would like to talk to your head engineer. What's his name? And the person just froze. They didn't know the name, you know, and it's very obvious that now I know. And then he started talking to me about, you know, I will give you 10%, just uh, keep playing the part. And I was like, hell no, you know, this is not what I do. But imagine how many of these hidden things are happening. So I'm just wondering, what uh, is your kind of education to your clients? Why they wouldn't be interested in working with the the middleman, the Chinese uh, trader, and would go through the hassle of going and finding the factory directly, what is the logic behind it?
0: Working with a trading company is fine as long as they are clear that they are a trading company. If okay, they're trying yeah, to I pretend to be a factory, then it's then it's a red flag. Mm. Because what a trading companies they solve quite a lot of problems as well because they already have bigger purchasing power. So you can benefit normally also right. from better prices. And if your MOQ, if your minimum order quantity is low, It's very difficult to get space in a factory and get the attention you want or you need. That's one one important reason. But the other reason is if you have products from with different kind of materials, you will probably need multiple suppliers. So to be able to combine that into one order, it helps to have a trading company that can facilitate that. We are actually a trading company ourselves that can facilitate that part as well, just to be able to do the local purchasing and also the combined export. Because not every factory has the rights to export everything. They also have a list of products they're allowed to export and import. For that, a trading company can help because they have just a wider scope, mm. normally lower MOQ and stronger negotiation power in general. So as long as the trading company is honest about it, I have no problem with that and my MOQ is low. I'm fine with not dealing directly with the factory. Uh, but if the quantity goes up and the, the product is just one product, or just many of the same then you really want to work with the factory because then you need have a chance to be more in control and to develop your product and to add sp- things to it that will help you to uh, stand out of the of the your competition
1: i think uh, another issue is that the uh, traditional chinese businessman will say yes can you mm. give it for this price yes can you give it cheaper yes and then after many questions you come to a firm yes shorter term, better price, and then it becomes unrealistic. But the person suddenly still transfers the advance payment. And uh, then because uh, some of Lithuanian companies have European Union projects, the deadlines are very tight. So it seems like it's really a people's game. You need to know who is the person in the factory who's making the calls. And you need to have like the pulse of that person every day so that you know that uh, your order will come at the right time if you really have the tight deadline and then as we were discussing the price is probably not a primary consideration maybe a few comments here
0: i like the answer normally if you ask for yes or no question quite often i get a maybe (laughs) and then a maybe is is normally a no and (laughs) but if you think maybe oh that means that's possible but actually in most cases, it's a no. Mm. When, you, uh, when you're when you going to get a yes, it's very important that you are aware of who you say yes to. Mm. What's the position of the person you say yes to? Because quite often, it's a sales guy. It's a sales mm. manager or someone who needs to attract foreign buyers to buy from their factory or their company. If that's a sales manager, their KPI is revenue. On a monthly mm. basis, they need to reach a certain target. That's important to realize that you are part of that target. For you Mm -hmm. to be able to have a long-term business, you want to know who's in charge, who is above this manager, how does the floor, what does the floor look like, what kind of communication. Is the manager also sitting with the factory or on on a different location? So you want someone that's actually close to where it's happening. It might Mm -hmm. be that you need to get to find a second person to talk to after you or before you confirm the order that's kind of also the role that we play we need to build up the relationship not just with the person that is the main point of content contact also the individuals on the floor and uh, on the, the assembly
1: voice. line yeah because they can touch everything right they can send you yeah. pictures if you're good to them yeah. so have you ever bought anything without visiting the factory in person
0: yeah, and that these cases were also probably the worst cases <laughs> that I've ever mm-hmm. experienced. Uh, one time there was a, a, a bottle, and it needs to be a print on the bottle, mm-hmm. and it was only 5,000 pieces, and it was uh, three hours from Shanghai. It would be a one-day trip, and mm-hmm. we, we, we thought this is quantity is so low, margin is not so high, it's not worth the trip. And mm-hmm. we should have gone there because in the end, you could scratch the layer off the print. So mm-hmm. whenever you would in wash the picture,
1: the- it looks good. But on the, the picture use- it looks good mm-hmm.
0: yeah and another one was we went to uh, in shandong we yeah, are in the north of china it were marble tiles and they say it was purely natural
1: mm-hmm. but
0: it was just used chem- they used chemicals and they produced on different locations because they couldn't handle the quantity we had five or ten containers or something mm-hmm. of the same and they wanted identical obviously because it's going to mm-hmm. be on the hotel floor
1: yeah These
0: floor tiles they said were- yes
1: they can do it
0: they can do it yeah and then we went there and there was a complete mess five different locations each location had had different colors uh we end up shipping out but then whatever shipped out arrived completely like all the all the ink all the chemicals were gone so it was just a white tile more or less Mm. for us there was very a big eye-opener that we need to be able to visit individually we need to make sure it's happening on one location that's taking full ownership not five different locations where you're loading and offloading and that was more or less also because we're looking for the cheapest Mm. and cheapest is available of course Mm. but it's not always the best yeah
1: i think uh, another issue is very psychological that changed uh, tremendously after the pandemic now the patriotic spirit in china is very very strong And so any foreign inquiry is treated as a quick way to make cash because a lot of people in your or my positions, like CEOs of companies that are, you know, SMEs, small, medium enterprises in China, they faced the pandemic, uh, had losses and they just left and they never returned. So people suffered lots of losses and many people got fired. And now I think uh, I can see that China has lost a lot of respect for foreign businesses. Because they have seen many people firsthand how mistreated the the, many of the employees were as a Mm. result of uh, unexpected challenges. So I think uh, that personal contact, personal touch, personal communication is becoming more and more important. I see a question here. So what if you have a test, will you be able to make changes? So if you notice that there is a problem, how does it go? if I understand yeah. the question correctly.
0: Normally, it depends on the quantity. Sometimes you have during the production, you have a, te- a test, you do an inspection. Um, depends on the qu- complexity. So then uh, you can definitely do the re- rework. So you can do it again or you can adjust it. We had mm. that done several times. But in the end as well, we always do uh, quality control either by our own team or by in the first three orders, normally with an external car company with mm. us present. Because then we can learn as well how to do it. And then we can, we know the, the things to look out for. Normally, rework is quite common. And this is very tricky when you have a deadline. If you need the mm-hmm. goods to be somewhere in time and you didn't estimate that it might take three to five days of rework, that mm-hmm. means another week delay. For us, we always advise you to have two at least two weeks of room. Mm-hmm. So you want it to be, let's say, first of June. You plan it to be arriving on the middle of June, mm. just to be, have that extra two weeks to be. But because the problem is bigger, if there's a problem with the goods yeah, after arriving,
1: losses. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Losses, but and then you have to find a local partner, partner who can actually fix that for you, and and that's trickier. Yeah.
1: People usually experience a lot of pressure. Like when I was in sourcing, they would just come and they would expect things to be done. But uh, when you tell them it's impossible. They don't want to have that answer and uh, I think the Chinese suppliers experience the same pressure and they learned to say yes in the end and then they do whatever is needed to do. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, Simon, we have about five more minutes, so I would like to move to the next question, which actually I wanted to ask as the first question. What did you see were the biggest changes in the supply chain in the past 10 years and Okay, I'll give you the room now, and then I'll ask the final question about the drop shipping.
0: The last ten years, a lot of things has has changed, and most the biggest change I would say is transparency. There's Mm. just more information available online, and just communication is so much easier. For you to be able to find a supplier online is already easy. It it wasn't ten years ago. That's Mm. already one thing. And communicating with them is also much easier. All the options for you to ship is also easier because there are more options now before you had mostly air and boats and now in the last few years train and also trucking solutions. These things are big changes for uh, in the supply chain because that means more options that also means more complexity. So the complexity went up and the transparency went up. I think these two will be the main changes that I've seen in the last uh, 10 years. And
1: uh, I was more going towards this uh, demand Ah, change. Yeah, I wasn't
0: sure whether that was coming now or later. But yeah, for for, for me, uh, that's more a recent change. It's not so much Mm. the last 10 years. So it's more like the last one or -hmm. or two years where we see that you have a supply chain. That supply chain is placing order till delivery. It includes the production and then delivery. We see that really based on a supply. So somebody wants Mm -hmm. something and and then you start planning from the source to the end, the change that we see is it's going towards a demand chain. So it's becoming with a demand. Someone wants something and then you start to plan on how I can get there. So it's much more based on a pool and mm-hmm. instead of the push. And one of the main reasons for this, if you think about it, it's very logical. During COVID, of course, all the online sales went up also because the stores were closed. But all the products that were in the stores, nobody wants because that was not in need. They were planning for certain seasonal products that no one is going to be using because there's no events to use them for. The products they wanted were not in the stores. The products they wanted were in the factories, still has to be produced. That was a very big squeeze because then suddenly there's a demand and who's going to fill that, which then will increase the prices and of course put pressure on the supply chain in all aspects. That was something that that really changed and I don't think that is going to change anymore it's not going to go back to normal this is the new normal basically there is a need, someone has it, how can I fulfill it in the most efficient and fastest way either by smaller shipments because the production is too big to do in batches or with different shipping offer, uh, options Or and so these, these kind of challenges is very tough because you cannot plan that much it's more happening instead of you can plan ahead. And that flexibility is very difficult for companies to adjust to, but it's happening and you have to adjust to it. So logistic companies, warehouses, uh, air freight, all of them are dealing with this struggle to create a mindset that's focused on the consumer more than the supplier.
1: I think it's even more focused on people rather than calling them consumers or suppliers because uh, now the people have a need. And uh, if you want to make business, you really need to tap into that need of that particular person in that particular segment. And I think uh, what I have learned in China is uh, when they tap into that need, they can sell 100 million of SKUs in the first two months in business because they really know the people who are buying. And it's not the consumers, it's the people. So yeah. that was very interesting. So now you shifted your focus to drop shipping, right? Maybe you can explain more about this concept and uh, what does your company do right now?
0: Yeah, so currently involved with a Chinese e-commerce company called HyperSKU. And they're uh, we're helping online sellers, global online sellers with their sourcing and shipping from China. And that's mostly B2C. So what mm-hmm. happens is the online seller has a store They get the order, but the product has not been purchased yet. So once the order is in, we will purchase it from the supplier. We'll bring it to our warehouse and ship it directly to the end user, to the consumer. And that's really demand. And and that's really demand supply, demand chain, which is basically the key point. And I'm not saying that dropshipping is the best method, but it is a great way for tapping into a demand and fulfilling it either from a domestic warehouse. Which is not your stock, but you're using someone else's stock, or from China or whatever. That's something that I, uh, I'm very passionate about because everyone mm. is trying to build their own business, their own freedom, and online building an online store is now just is booming. Uh, e-commerce is going to be part of every brand's portfolio now. Even if the main revenue was offline, suddenly the company had to switch and put all their attention to the online business which was much less relevant before. Global brands, local brands, local entrepreneurs, all are considering how can I do online sales and how can I reduce my costs? And maybe dropshipping is a way where you just don't buy the stock, but ship out whenever there's an order.
1: Yeah, so instead of buying a container, thinking that I will teach my consumers to use it in the next two months, because in summer, probably there will be rain and we need umbrellas you would wait until the consumer decides which kind of umbrellas they like and place an order online. And then you, you Simon, can go to the factory or send somebody to the factory and buy one, one or two umbrellas exactly as the consumer wants and ship it from that factory, or from your own warehouse, directly to the consumer in yeah. United States, Europe, I don't know, anywhere else, yeah. right?
0: Yeah, because and now you can, that... you can give 50 types of umbrellas and let the consumer mm-hmm. decide which one right. they want. And then you know this one goes well. Now I'm going to buy a stock yeah. because this one is going to has an opportunity and that stock I don't have to bring to where I am. I can still keep it in a warehouse when it's mine and ship out from there and still reduce the supply chain because no production time needed.
1: So there is another question and we're approaching the time limit. So I will wait for the moderator to tell us when to cut off. But the question is, what is the shipping time in case of uh, using the drop shipping model?
0: Good question. I think that's for, uh, in our case, it's from our warehouse is around seven to 10 days. And then the processing time is two? maybe two Where? Days, from China to the consumer, mostly, but uh, the, North, North America, or? Mm-hmm. North America and Europe. If you include the processing, so the order comes in, we will buy and ship it to our warehouse. It adds two to four days. Adding stock in our warehouse definitely makes it faster, roughly mm-hmm. two weeks. But this is a critical, critical part. This is the low season right Mm -hmm. march till october you can reach two weeks from october till february very difficult to reach two weeks just because the supply chain is so much under pressure that it's hard to to do that so in that case very important to consider local stock where your consumers are uh, or inform them ahead that it might take three weeks
1: I think one thing that I would like to educate the Lithuanian listeners about China is that, yes, in the previous uh, conversation, the um, person presenting said that China is still lagging behind in some technologies. But then in terms of e-commerce, I think if I choose to buy a sweater in a different color of different composition and submit the order to the factory and want one sweater only on Taobao, it will reach my apartment tomorrow in one day so the direct-to-consumer business model in china is so established that uh, having a delivery to your home in two days is expected it's mandatory it's not nice to have so i think it's only the europeans the united uh, states and these western consumers uh, would be willing to wait for two weeks
0: so um, For the the ambition of Alibaba is 72 hours global delivery from China to anywhere. That's kind of the norm. So in the next two years, I think it will go to three to five days. Yeah.
1: And I think there will be intermittent uh, warehouses all over the world and zones or stuff. Right. So one more question is how many factors are actually prepared to cater to the model? I think all Chinese factories catering to Chinese consumers are already prepared. It's just a new concept for us in the West.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And the audience is saying that we answered the question already. Yeah,
0: I see. Great. But (laughs) it is is. for (laughs) me, it was also challenging to think how can this how can this be done with the factories? But they produce more and keep that available for whoever wants to buy. And they can produce within a few days as long as they have the raw materials. And sometimes the raw materials are very nearby. China factories are structured by end product. A lot of the factories are together. That means that the raw materials are also very close to the factory. That's just the ecosystem that's created around the factory itself. And that's very important because that creates a lot of flexibility to do this kind of demand chain and support, uh, support this.
1: I think, you know what, Simon, is uh, Lithuanians imagine a factory being more similar to the Lithuanian factory, which is based uh, on the IKEA model of high automation. So anything they do is in the quantities of hundreds of thousands, and it's very difficult to stop the production. But in China, the human labor is cheap, and that's why it's actually based on hands, hands, hands-on tasks and therefore they can adjust very quickly to any new arising demands and i think uh, the culture has really built this flexibility in this aspect
0: yeah for sure for sure yeah
1: (laughs) okay we're getting the warning so thank you simon so much (laughs) you're very (laughs) welcome it was useful and interesting for lithuanians to hear a voice of somebody who's been working with other western companies for more than 10 years And I'm really glad that we were able to share this with you all.
0: Thank you. Doing business in China is a complex world. You can quickly feel alone and lost in its maze. But don't worry. China Businesscast is here for you. Sign up for our newsletter and regular updates on our website at www.chinabusinesscast.com. Thanks for tuning in.